Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Monday, May the 30th, 2022. It is currently 1.41 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas, on this Memorial Day. If you are listening live, I hope you're having a great day. I hope you had a great Memorial Day weekend. I hope you're ready for the beginning of your summer. What, Whatever you're going to be doing this summer, traveling or just working, whatever you do, I hope that this podcast will be a source of spiritual encouragement, a spiritual food, and of spiritual challenge trying to get you to think theologically and biblically about everything happening in our world and trying to get you actually studying the Word of God. Now, if you listen to our last live broadcast, you notice something. It ended abruptly, okay? I was in the middle of talking, and, well, it ended because one of the platforms that we broadcast live on, Spreaker, decided to, well, disconnect. Literally in the middle of a live broadcast, it just disconnected, and it kept saying reconnect, reconnect, and reconnect. And after saying reconnect for, uh, you know, 30 or 40 seconds, that's the end. The broadcast just immediately ends. It goes to the archives, and then it gets posted everywhere across the internet. So it, I don't like the fact that there's a broadcast out there that ends abruptly. So I was bothered by it. I was irritated by it. But in some ways, maybe, maybe it turned out to be a good thing, maybe, because before I could do another broadcast, it was going to force me to turn on the microphone and at least do a part two to tell everyone, hey, I'm, a, I'm sorry for the abrupt ending. I think you heard everything. I was going to have to do that anyway. But now that I, I have to do that, I feel like this gives me an opportunity to maybe really look at something said and what we were to look at something said in the article that we were looking at in part one, it really wasn't part one, but now it's part one, because it was it was extremely disturbing to me. In fact, it's, it's, it's troubled me ever since. And at least one person who was listening to the, that live broadcast, when I read the statement, even they posted in the chat, what? And I think multiple question marks, because I was like, what, what, what am I reading? Wait. This is on a Christian website. I, I've got to really think this through. And I'm trying to be sensitive because it is about a very sensitive subject. But at the same time, no matter how sensitive the subject is, we got to make sure we still remain true to the Bible and make sure we maintain a biblical theology. I, I think everyone should agree on this. So here's what we were doing. I'm just going to make sure everyone is filled in in case you did not hear part one. All right. So here we go. We were reading an article that was posted at crosswalk.com on May the 24th, 2022. The headline, the title of the article is, Why is Abuse Rampant in the Church? Why is Abuse Rampant in the Church? And the reason I decided to talk about this, this particular article is because out of all of the articles written about sexual abuse in the church, this is one that at least according to the title is going to try to explain to us why this abuse is rampant in the church, why it is happening. It's getting to the uh, to that ultimate question of why. And I wanted to hear their perspective on the why. Why is it happening? The article begins this way. This is the author of the article speaking. This morning, I had a headline pop up on my phone. 
Here's the headline. Bombshell, 400-page report finds Southern Baptist leaders routinely silenced sexual abuse survivors. Okay, so th- this person reads this, and of course, it's a pretty, it's pretty shocking. It's, it's like, you know, we've got to talk about this. But the person writing this has a very personal connection to sexual abuse within the Southern Baptist Convention because the woman writing had suffered abuse. Uh, she had experienced abuse within her, her own marriage to a Southern Baptist pastor. So this is a very personal thing to this individual. She outlines some of the her experience in that marriage to a Southern Baptist pastor. And then she sets out to say this. Why is abuse so rapid in the SBC? Why is it so rapid? She says, um, while I am certain it is multifactorial, like there's multiple factors in it, I can share a few things that I have come to realize over the years. Then the article proceeds to give what she believes are, I guess, why why it's so rampant. And she gives four. We looked at all four of those. I'm not going to repeat them now because I don't want to distract you to what we, we, we mentioned at the end of the last live broadcast, but we had to end it. I don't think we mentioned it to around the 50 minute mark. And the program kicked off or uh, basically disconnected at the 56-minute at the mark. So we really didn't get a lot of time to explore this one. And I at least want to come back to it because this is very, this is possibly troubling. Now, the author may write a, another article and kind of clarify this. But considering the article ends with this statement that I'm about to read to you, I find it somewhat troubling and concerning. And let me try to explain it this way. This is very, and I think this is true. If anyone who studies church history, I think you're going to find this. This happens all the time within church history. Happens over and over again. I've tried to illustrate this to my church constantly. You have a, something goes wrong in the church. You have a problem. You have a theological heresy. You have some kind of issue. And rightly so, the heresy, the issue is exposed and the issue is condemned. And everyone should say, amen, that's a good thing. But time after time, the solution or the pushback against the problem, against the theological issue, tends to end up going to another wrong extreme. Like, here's the problem, so we're going to fight it and we're going to push back by going to another extreme. I'll just I'll just give you a, a, an example that's very simple and straightforward. Let's say you have a massive uh, abuse of grace and say just a very um, relaxed view on sin, on holiness, on godliness. You almost turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, as Jude says. There's just an, a massive attack on the grace of God, which people didn't understand to be a license, and they just engage in just complete out-of-control sin and doing whatever they want and thinking they're justified to do so. Well, that needs to be condemned. That needs to be pointed out. That needs to be exposed as being fraudulent. But what happens is sometimes the, the what happens is people will run to an equal and opposite error. That would be they then run to full, out-of-control legalism. They go all the way to trying to put people back under bondage, and they go way to another extreme. So sometimes when there is a problem, 
Well, then the solution may end up just a different kind of problem, a different kind of theological issue, a different kind of error. You can't fight an error by turning to a different error or creating a different error or a different problem. If something is wrong, you don't fix it with another wrong. That, that, that is a very important theological principle, right? Wait a minute. What, what, the church is doing this. Well, we're going to combat that by doing this. And you just, don't you realize you're fighting against it? You've created your own error. You've created your own heresy. You've created your own false approach. That's no more biblical than what they're doing. It's just unbiblical in a different way. So when we look at the SBC report, that clearly outlines the horrible abuse that has happened in the Southern Baptist Convention. It's horrible. It's disgusting. It's wrong. It's ungodly. It's got to be put out there. I understand that. But we can't turn to a solution that is, well, heretical, that is wrong, that is, that is completely goes against the Bible. We can't do that either. We have to find theological and biblical solutions. Now, the reason I'm pointing this out here in part two is because at the very end of this article, the very end of this article, we read these words. This is the last sentence, and I am just still utterly perplexed by this. I'm utterly perplexed by this. But this is the last sentence in this article, Why is Abuse Rampant in the Church? You can find it at crosswalk.com. You should look at it, um, and maybe, and look, I'm more than willing to admit, maybe, maybe I'm misunderstanding the perspective. I'm trying to understand the perspective. To me, there was plenty of things in the article that was somewhat perplexing or confusing because I didn't think it was really answering the question of why is abuse so rampant in the church? I tried to figure out how it could apply, but... Put it this way, there were some good things in the article, but they would need to be taken and rewritten and fleshed out, I think, to really provide maybe a solid answer. But when it's all said and done, the author decided to end this discussion about why is abuse rampant in the church with these words, and I'm going to quote it directly. Here we go. I quote, we, all right, so all of us as Christians, We, back to the quote, we must learn that Jesus didn't didn't always offer grace. Sometimes he chose to walk away from those religious folks who were toxic and abusive. Period. End quote. Let me read it to you one more time. I'm going to be, okay, here we go. Let's start the quote. We must learn that Jesus didn't always offer grace. Sometimes he chose to walk away from those religious folks who were toxic and abusive, period. End quote. Now, I've got a pencil in my hand, all right, because my mind is moving a million miles per second. So let's go through this. An abuser, someone who is sexually abused, molested a child, raped a woman, 
an abuser has to be exposed. Legal authorities must be contacted. Legal the, the, the legal system must get involved. Charges must be filed. Court hearing, punishment, all of that must occur. It must be condemned. It must be exposed. There can be no cover-up. Everyone agrees with that, right? But no matter what, isn't God's grace, it, doesn't Jesus always offer grace? He may offer rebuke. He may offer expose. He may, he may offer a, a rebuke, a correction. He may expose hypocrisy. He may expose the sin. But isn't the grace of Christ, the grace of God, always offered to anyone and everyone? Because the very word grace itself is offering something to someone who is undeserving. God's grace is not just offered to those who deserve it. It's offered to the undeserving. Now, you may want them to be punished. I understand that. You may pray an imprecatory psalm for their destruction. We talked about that in our discussion about the imprecatory psalms. I understand that feeling and that emotion, but God's grace is available to the worst, to the chief of sinners. Doesn't mean they shouldn't face legal consequences. But, they, but you can't say that Jesus just didn't always offer grace? Well, what do you mean by he didn't always offer grace? Are there times where he rebuked the Pharisees? Yes, he rebuked them. But are you telling me that there wasn't an offer of grace to them in some way, shape, or form? I mean, when he hung on the cross, does he not say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do? Are you telling me the the the... The promise of grace wasn't to any and all of them. I, it, it, I'm just, I'm baffled by an idea that what I'm concerned with is that we so respond that, that, that a response develops. I'm not saying this article would lead to it, but we, we develop a response to the horrible abuse within the Southern Baptist Convention that leads us to deny grace to the sinner. Are you seeing are you seeing the reason abuse is rampant in the church is because well of the teaching of grace? I mean just read those words again. We must learn that Jesus didn't always offer grace. Sometimes he chose to walk away from those religious folks who were toxic and abusive. What do you mean he walked away? Didn't they walk away from him? Didn't they seek to kill him? And then did he not pray, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do? Are you telling me that those who were toxic and abusive, there was never an offer of grace to them? That, that grace was never to be preached to them? Grace was never to be shown them? Are you telling me that the solution is, well, you did this, no grace for you? Now, there should be that grace doesn't mean there aren't legal ramifications, obviously. It, it, it's, it, it's an, I'm, I'm still baffled by this possible solution. If we just read a couple of things about the grace, just a couple of things um, about God's grace. Um, grace is unmerited favor. 
That, that's, that's a very, it's unmerited. The grace is offered to the person who cannot merit it. They don't deserve it. So how could you say that God, he would not offer grace? Because if he doesn't offer grace, he's he's seeming that's seemingly to imply that Christ would be like, you don't deserve my grace, which would go completely against the very theological concept of grace. Theopedia has a quote from Oswald Chambers that says, the gospel of the grace of God awakens an intense longing in human souls and an equally intense resentment because the truth that it reveals is not palatable or easy to swallow. Uh, palatable or easy to swallow. There's a certain pride in people that causes them to give and give, but to come and accept a gift is another thing. I will give my life to martyrdom. I will dedicate my life to service. I will do anything, but do not humiliate me to the level of the most hell-deserving sinner and tell me that all I have to do is accept the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. In other words, saying that the idea of grace goes against our our our, our idea of, of pride. Well, could the idea of God's grace go against? Maybe it's not palatable, uh, as the word they use, palatable. Maybe it's not palatable to us in the sense that, wait a minute, they don't deserve God's grace. They're abusive and they're toxic. No grace should be extended. No grace should be preached. Jesus walked away from people like that, so I can walk away from people like that. Now, by no means, should, does that mean you should stay in the abuse, right? But you can't say that Jesus just stopped offering grace to people. Like, this seems to be because you, because you are bothered by it. You're almost placing a mindset into Jesus that I don't know if Jesus clearly, if you like, I think you're, you're, I, it's almost like you're trying to make Jesus like you instead of being confronted with a Jesus who offers you grace and you don't deserve it. See, I don't, I don't think we like the idea that somehow grace humiliates us and 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 puts us on the same level as the most hell-deserving sinner. We don't like that. We like to think, no, 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 I receive grace because I am more deserving than that person over there. They don't deserve. See, Jesus walked away from that kind of person. Jesus did not give offer grace to that kind of person, but he offered grace to me. And so we have to distinguish between those who get grace and those who don't get grace to stop the rampant abuse, the, the, the abuse being rampant in the church. That's seemingly to be like where, what the article is insinuating, at least to some level. Now, again, the problem is it just stops after that sentence. The grace and mercy of God strikes at the very heart of humanity. It has the ability to raise the most extreme emotions. By, as Oswald Chambers says, humiliating those who want to add something to their salvation. On the other hand, it can spark emotions of humility where, where one will consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus, my Lord, for, for whose sake we have lost all things and count them as rubbish, Philippians 3.8. The very grace came and comes through Jesus himself, John 1, 17, Romans 5, 15, 1 Corinthians 1, 4, 2 Timothy 1, 9. It's a, a sufficient great grace, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that it is shown through the redemption, through his blood and forgiveness of sins, Ephesians 1, 7, and it is the grace by which we are justified. God's grace 
it, it destroys our pride because we're like, no, I can do this and this and this, and then I deserve something. But it says you can't do anything. And what you deserve, you're on the same level as these horrible people. But God's grace is extended to you. If God's grace can be extended to you, why would you say it can't be extended to others? Now, I understand that someone could take God's grace, abuse it, and use it as a way to manipulate people to say, hey, 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 don't don't turn me in. Don't expose me because, hey, don't you believe in grace? Someone could abuse it. But abuse of grace doesn't mean we respond to the abuse of grace by then going to a, a unbiblical extreme where we deny grace. You correct the abuse of grace, but you do not deny grace. The worst sinner, I know this is hard for people to comprehend, but from a biblical perspective, I don't care who they are. The worst sinner should be offered the the grace of God that comes through Jesus Christ and his finished work. We don't want to believe that, but it's true. The abuser deserves the grace of God. Not That doesn't mean they are free from legal consequences, but they, are, they can experience salvation. They can, they can be saved. They can have their sins forgiven. That's the biblical story. I, I know we don't like it when we talk about a sensitive subject like this, but it doesn't matter. The child abuser, the child molester, the rapist, the murderer, the, the drug dealer, you, 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 you name the, the, the horrible sinner, we, we offer them the grace of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Your sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. They have been forgiven. Doesn't mean that removes legal consequences. This hints at, well, you know, Jesus didn't offer grace to everyone. I mean, in fact, it doesn't just hint at it. Let me read the words again to you. The very words. We must learn that Jesus didn't always offer grace. Sometimes he chose to walk away from those religious folk who were, who were toxic and abusive. Hey, if someone was to- toxic, Jesus just said, that's it. I'm walking away from you. No more grace. You don't, you don't get grace. You're abusive. I'm walking away from you. I'm done. I'm done. I, uh, grace is... It, grace is given to those who believe. I mean, don't don't we still believe these words? I mean, you probably know these words. I could quote them. I'll just read them from the Bible that I just picked up. But you know these words. For you are saved by grace through faith, and that is not from yourself. It is God's gift, not from work so that no one can boast. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. We don't, we can't merit. We don't deserve it. I know that goes like it can go against your pride saying, no, I want, I have to earn it. I know it goes against the idea because it says that you are just as undeserving as, well, these horrible sinners that you think Jesus should walk away from. And then I know it can go against us. Again, palatable, I think it was the word Oswald Chambers used. It's not palatable to us because we're like, wait a minute. Grace can go to that person? That person? 
the abuser who was named in the Southern Baptist Convention report, that, that person can be a recipient of God's grace and have their sins perfectly forgiven and spend an eternity in heaven? That's not palatable to us. We want justice. We want vengeance. We want destruction. I understand that. I want you to think about this from a biblical theological perspective. Look, this is just the reality of Christianity. It's weird that I feel like it's, have we crossed some line that, I, that I'm not aware of anymore? But I want to make sure everyone understands this. The shooter who watched, walked into base, an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, and killed 19 children between the ages of 7 and 10. That's an evil, evil act. Horrible, ungodly. It is disgusting. Everyone, everyone knows that. If that person, if the shooter was not killed but arrested, then placed in handcuffs, taken to a jail, held there, has a trial, found guilty, and given life in prison or even given the death sentence, right? Even if capital punishment is issued, he's still going to be in prison for a long, very, a long time before it occurs. I want you to understand that this, I know not everyone's going to like this, but this is Christianity. That person would still be someone that we would want to present the gospel and the grace of God to. And if they believed and truly placed their faith in Christ and truly came to salvation, their sin would be forgiven. Their sin would, would be removed as far as the east from the west. It would be cast into the deepest sea. And they would enter heaven when they die. That may go against your sense of justice. may go against your sense of fairness. But it's true. Grace of God is not based on their deserving it. That shooter would not deserve it. I don't deserve it. Those who committed acts of sexual abuse don't deserve it. Their victims don't deserve it because we're all sinners. It's not palatable. You, again, using Oswald Chambers' word. I, 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 I'm, I don't know who's currently listening live this uh, Memorial Day, but I, I, I felt that if I was preaching this from the pulpit of my church, the silence that I hear right now is the silence I would hear in the church. People, that wouldn't, people don't like that. I, have we reached a point where we, we, we've, we've changed the, that somehow God's grace that is only goes out to the deserving, only to those who merit it? Then it's not the unmerited favor of God. God's grace is, we, we cannot earn it, we cannot merit it, we do not deserve it, and it's, goes, it's to be offered to everyone, for God so loved the world that whosoever believe shall not perish but have everlasting life. We offer the gospel to everyone in the world, and we say, believe and you will be saved. Your sins, though they were scar scarlet, will be as white as snow. 
We offer that. If we, we that 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 we, we we can be forgiven and cleansed from all unrighteousness. That the grace of God is sufficient. That the grace of God is greater than your worst sin. Do we respond to the to the sexual abuse by saying that we must learn that Jesus didn't always offer grace? I mean, literally, this is an article about, in fact, I'll read the paragraph before it. Sadly, abuse in the SBC and in the church in general is real and damaging. It's time we empower the faithful with the truth, the truth that people are sinners, the truth that our faith lends itself to miss, to missing toxic and abusive behaviors, the truth that we can get caught up in doing the right thing for God and failing to see how we are easily being led astray. Then it says, we must learn. So specifically about sexual abuse in the church, we must learn that Jesus didn't always offer grace. Sometimes he chose to walk away from those religious folk who were toxic and abusive. Now, when you say walk away, walk away, what do you, in what way do you mean walk away? Yes, doesn't mean you have to stay in the abuse. Yeah, everyone says you should be able to get out. Obviously, you should be able to report it to authorities. Yes, no one is denying, or no one should deny that, I should say. But you can't just somehow connect that to saying Jesus didn't always offer grace. Now, I know in certain, in certain conversations, he, he placed the law before them to condemn them or to try to show them their sin. He exposed their sin. But it wasn't that that meant a denial of grace. It means he was confronting them, waiting for their conviction, confession, them acknowledging that they are a sinner and that they have done wrong. God's grace is always available. We cannot correct a wrong with another wrong. We cannot correct an error with an equal and opposite error. I, I, I wonder if we've lost. The, I wonder if the church. Remember, we 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 keep reading these statistics. They keep coming out showing how many Christians no longer have a biblical worldview, and the numbers are start startling and staggering. Is this maybe one of the? But they don't really offer, and some in some cases they don't offer really concrete examples. They'll give, you know, hey, we asked this question, they answered this way. See, Christians don't hold to a biblical worldview. But I wonder, is this the first sign of how a, the, the lack of a biblical worldview raises its ugly head when addressing something horrible and horrific within the church that we almost say, hey, you know, we're going to deny grace. Grace cannot be extended to these people. Well, it's got to be extended in the sense that you want all to come to faith and, and to be saved. In fact, you can't even, uh, yeah, well, we, we can get to a whole other discussion there, but I, I'm, just, I'm just baffled that an article on this subject ends with, again, I'm going to read the line, we must learn that Jesus didn't always offer grace. Sometimes he chose to walk away from those religious folks who were toxic and abusive. I can understand that feeling, the woman who wrote this was abused. 
So I can understand by an SBC pastor. I can understand that feeling. He doesn't deserve any grace. He's abusive. He's toxic. I'm walking away. He doesn't deserve anything. I can understand that feeling. The feeling would be very justified. It would be natural. And you should be able to express it in, in a precatory psalm or a psalm of lament. You, you can't deny that feeling. But you can't impose that that's somehow a biblical concept. Or put it this way, at least this line needs a follow-up line, right? Jesus didn't always offer grace, so what do you mean? Jesus walked away from religious folks who were toxic and abusive. What do you mean by that? It's one thing to write, when we are abused, we don't have to simply offer grace to them, and so by, we don't offer, it's not, how can we say this? When we are abused, we don't uh, extend grace to people by covering up and not reporting it. No, we we offer the grace of God for forgiveness, but we report it because that's what's right. And we can walk away from those situations so that we are not abused and our kids are not abused and that we can pr- seek protect legal protection and safety. And the church should offer that protection and safety. I, I, I just I just feel like we had to come back to this. And and I and I don't know. I look, I could be completely wrong. It would be interesting now. I'm really, I'm really, I'm really perplexed here. Is this just a one-time thing? I wonder how many people sitting in the pew no longer have a biblical understanding of grace. Do you do you think this is do you think this is a problem? Or it's just, just shows, I mean, this got published at crosswalk.com. Someone didn't go, wait a minute. What, what is the, what is the, the last part here? I was going to look to see if there was any comments under it. I don't think there's a, a place for comments. I was going to see if someone was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean by that? Like, like that last, it looks like if, if whoever was getting ready to publish it on the site, you think they would be like, could you, do you think maybe you should offer like that last, that last sentence you should expand it or you should offer a clarification. Do you think someone would have been like, I'm, I'm a little, I don't know if I completely understand that last statement. What's funny, if you do a search for the archives of crosswalk.com, you'll find another article entitled, it was, I don't know what year it was published, God's Grace is for Everyone. So literally on the same website, they have an article called God's Grace is for Everyone. And then here's an article written in the last couple of days saying, "Mm, Jesus didn't always offer grace. And you're like, how do you reconcile the two articles published on your site? I mean, do you have any oversight at all? Do you have any like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute here. What do we really believe about God's grace in the face of horrible uh, stories of abuse in the SBC? All right, I'm going to stop. I think I think we're just scratching I, maybe we're scratching the surface here, maybe maybe I'm 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 catching uh, maybe I'm seeing a problem here where there is no problem. I'm willing to acknowledge that. I just whenever whenever I I just know that church history at least I know this I'm I know I'm right about this. 
that time and time again in church history, we, we correct one error, one, one problem, by many cases running to an equal and opposite problem or equal and opposite error. That's, all, that's always, always an issue that the church has always had to come to because we just have a tendency to go to extremes. I don't know if this is the reflection of a mass misunderstanding of God's grace that is developing and rising from within the church, or this is just someone who has been abused, who has processed the abuse with a, a, a certain feeling about grace extended to certain people that may not be biblical. It may be more emotion than a biblical thought-out position. And I can understand the emotion. I can understand the emotion. By no means the person should not deny the emotion. The person should express their anger and their hurt and their pain. They, have, they, have, they, they need to do that. But you can't turn that into kind of a biblical philosophy that calls into question that the, the Son of God who, who took on human flesh, who I mean, look at what he did. If we go to Philippians, okay, this is this was the the attitude, the mind of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, and said he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity when he had come as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He, 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 he humbled himself and came and died to save sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave his son to die. You're saying that Jesus who came to die for sinners, who came to redeem sinners, was the one saying, sorry, no more grace for you. Sorry, sorry, I'm not going to offer any grace to you. I'm walking away. You're abusive and you're toxic. Why would he even come to the world? The whole world is abusive and toxic. You're abusive and I'm toxic in some way, shape, or form. We are abusive, obviously, to the holiness of God. We're abusive to the law of God. We're toxic. We So why would he extend grace to anyone? But you're saying that they're, oh, no, that's sin. No, no grace for you. Meaning grace is earned. Grace is merited. You're literally destroying the biblical concept of grace to combat a very real error within the church. But we can't destroy the grace of God to combat those who have abused the grace of God to exploit and sexually abuse and, and hurt people. We call out the abuse of grace and reestablish a biblical understanding of it. All right, I'll end there. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. We'll be doing more live broadcast here in a little while, but I had to clean this up because, I don't know. This is one of those things I, I'm, I'm exercised about and I'm bothered about, and I have a, I'm, a fear, I'm fearful that a lot of people are like, I don't think it's really that big a deal. I don't think they really meant that. I don't think it's an issue. I would, I would just challenge you in your small group or you're in your church, your, your, your Christian circles, maybe get into a very in-depth discussion about the grace of God and see if they, if there's a little bit of this thinking inside of them. And maybe, maybe there's a problem 
developing that we need to greatly address. I, I, I don't know. It just seems weird that this would show up at crosswalk.com. Uh, that, that sentence just seems completely antithetical to a biblical understanding of grace. So, all right, I'll stop there. Thanks for listening. God bless.